Our sermon text this morning is Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 32. Again, Matthew 21, verses 23 to 32. This is the Word of God. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we ask that by your Spirit we would feel the full impact of your words this morning. We pray, Lord that your word would bring conviction in our hearts. We pray, Lord, for those who refuse to believe, that by your word and spirit they would be brought to believe this morning. And we pray for those, Lord, who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ, that you, Lord, would expose our unbelief. That you would show us, O Lord, how much like the chief priests and elders we are. Convict us of our sin, we pray. Make us repentant. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the previous three weeks that we've spent in this chapter, Matthew 21, we have covered parts of two days in the life of Jesus. We read about Jesus triumphantly entering the city of Jerusalem on the Sunday of Passover week when people lay cloaks and palm branches down on the road before him and they shouted out, Hosanna to the son of David. Two weeks ago, we read about his entrance into the temple and his cleansing of the temple, his casting out the money changers and those who sold and bought animals for sacrifice. And then last week we read of his prophetic act of cursing this fig tree as he went back to Jerusalem after he'd spent the night out in Bethany. And we saw that he was cursing the fig tree because it was representative of the religion of Israel. 
It gave the appearance of fruit. But upon closer inspection, there was nothing there. And this is the way the religion, the the worship of Israel, manifested itself. It gave the appearance of religion, the appearance of busyness. But in truth, when Jesus visited that temple, he found nothing of true worship there. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus is back in the temple. He's back teaching a day after he had cleansed it. He's there to teach, but it's inevitable that the leaders of the temple, the leaders of God's people are going to come up to him because of what he's been doing over these previous days. And so they do. They confront him about what he's done. And so we see that just after Jesus has cursed this fig tree on his way into the temple that morning, the leaders, the religious leaders, the representatives of the temple come to him. And they challenge him. They are the representatives of the religious establishment of Israel. And as such, they had been represented by this fig tree that Jesus cursed on his way in that morning. Now the things that Jesus has been doing, the riding into Israel on the back of the donkey to the shouts of the crowds, the cleansing of the the temple and the casting people out, these aren't the normal activities of a rabbi who comes to Jerusalem for, for Passover. And so these leaders, they want to know how Jesus thinks he's got the right to do these things. By what authority, they ask him. Well, as we work our way through this passage, I'd ask you to, uh, to think about this, that in fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures, Jesus Christ came to bring salvation to every sinner who repents and believes in Him. In fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures, Jesus Christ came to bring salvation to every sinner who repents and believes in Him. We'll look at this passage in three sections. Verse 23, a question of authority. Verses 24 to 27, a question in response. And then verses 28 to 32, the answer. Verse 23, a question of authority. Verses 24 to 27, a question in response. And then verses 28 to 32, the answer. So let's look at this first verse, verse 23, a question of authority. When Jesus arrived in the temple after he'd cursed the fig tree, he began to teach. He began to teach the people who had gathered there. Now, prior to coming to Jerusalem, when Jesus was out ministering in uh, the region around uh, Galilee, it was very common for him to go into the synagogues on the Sabbath, uh, on whatever day he happened to enter, and he would teach there. Here, he simply continued to do what he'd been doing all along in his public ministry, preaching and teaching, proclaiming the coming of the kingdom. This was his custom, and so he continued to do it. Well, verse 23 says that as he was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came up to him and asked him a question. Now, you've got to see what's happening here in in verse 23 of chapter 21. This is the beginning of a long series of exchanges between Jesus and the leaders, the religious leaders of the temple. That culminates in chapter 23 when Jesus pronounces upon these hypocrites, he says, the seven woes. The seven woes. Here it's the chief priests and elders. Later it will be the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In one sense, they're all the same. They're the religious leaders of the time. Now these chief priests, these elders of the people, as we've already said, they were the representatives of Israel in the temple. And the priests in particular 
They'd been set up by God as mediators between God and man. They represented the people of Israel to God in the temple. And they represented God to the people of Israel. And so these representatives, like the fig tree, they had the appearance of bearing fruit. They had the appearance of, of giving and rendering true worship to the Lord. But upon, upon closer inspection, the worship was vacant. It was absent. It was non-existent. And so here in this verse, the leaders of the people come up to Jesus while he's teaching. And they ask him in front of everyone there, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Now these things, what do they mean by that? This most likely refers to everything that Jesus has done since he's come into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The riding in on the donkey, the cleansing of the temple, even the teaching right at that moment. They're asking him, by what authority? How do you think you can do this? And there's some irony here. In the fact that these leaders whose authority is derived from God are asking God himself where he gets his authority. These leaders have nothing if they don't have the authority that God has granted to them in Scripture. And yet they're challenging God in the flesh about his own authority and how he can do these things in his temple, his house. Now what Jesus will show in the second half of this passage when he tells these temple leaders a parable is that they ought to know exactly where Jesus' authority is derived. As a people, speaking generally, the Jews were given every advantage to recognize Jesus for whom he was. As chief priests and elders, they especially ought to know because they had great knowledge of the scriptures in which Jesus was prophesied. They should have known who he was. But what's more, and Jesus will allude to this in a moment when his counter-question, what's more they should have known because of what John the Baptist did in the wilderness when he pointed to Christ, when when he prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. They should have known. And by his entrance into the city, by his act of cleansing the temple, Jesus was giving clear evidence to them that he was the Messiah. He was the Christ who was to come. He was the one for whom they had been waiting. If these priests and elders had been paying any attention, if they had had eyes and ears of faith, they would have known who Jesus was. They would have known the answer to their question before they had thought to ask it. Well, let's turn and look at verses 24 to 27. In response to these uh, leaders' question to Jesus, Jesus gives a question right back to them. And when he does this, he demonstrates his authority. He says in verse 24, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he asks this question, the baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or man? Now, it's unlikely that the chief priests were accustomed to someone uh, responding to their questions with a question in return. It was a common method of debate between rabbis. One would ask a question, the other would ask a question in response. But these priests did not consider Jesus to be a peer. He was not their equal. It was clear from their question to him that they expected him to answer their question. 
And as the next couple of verses make clear, the priests and the elders know that Jesus, by his question, has put them into a dilemma. They knew that if they said John's Baptist came from heaven, though it would be politically expedient for them to do this, they knew that Jesus would challenge them on why they did not believe John and what he said. But if they said that his baptism came from man, they were going to make the crowds very angry at them. They all liked John, the crowds did. The people believed that John was a prophet. He was a prophet just like Malachi and all of the prophets before. They want to say that John's authority came from God, but they know that Jesus will catch them on a lie. They want to say it, but they don't believe it. What they actually believe is that John's authority was earthly. It was from man. But they're too afraid to say it. These chief priests and elders would have fit well in Washington, D.C. today. They knew their way around a political situation. Jesus' question challenged the chief priests and elders more than this, however. For them to admit that that John's baptism was from heaven would also force them to regard Jesus as more than simply a rabble-rousal from the country. They couldn't just look upon him disdainfully. John had spoken of Jesus. He had spoken of there being one who came after him, whose sandals he was unworthy to carry. And when Jesus did appear, John the Baptist exclaimed in, in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For them to say that John's authority came from heaven, his baptism came from heaven, would be to say that Jesus' authority came from heaven. These two men were bound up together. They were inseparable. Their ministries were very closely related. John's authority came from Jesus. His reason for existence was because he had been sent to prepare the way for the Messiah, for the coming of Jesus. This is his purpose. And so the answer that the priests and the elders give is a non-answer. They simply say, we do not know. And in that answer, they too lie. And Jesus, knowing that they were withholding their true answer, he said to them in verse 27, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus knows they're lying. He knows their hearts. He knows they're trying to skirt around the issue. And so he won't give them the answer that they're asking for. Let's look at verses 28 to 32. In these verses... He does give an answer. After Jesus says this, he begins to tell a parable, starting in verse 28. And his parable flows directly out of the verbal exchange that he has had with the priests and elders. These men have confronted Jesus about their perceived, out of their perceived position of authority. But this parable that Jesus gives to them, he tells them this parable, and it illustrates to them their position of weakness. The parable tells of a man who had two sons. He has two sons, and to the first son he goes and tells this son, go and work in my vineyard. And the son, his response is to say, no, I will not do it. But later on, at some point, he has a change of heart, a change of mind, and he decides to go out to the vineyard and work. Well, in the meantime, at some point, uh, the father goes to his second son, and he tells his second son to go and work in the vineyards as well. And the second son says, yes, I will do it. But he doesn't do it. Well, neither response, neither action of the sons is is really honorable, is it? 
And after Jesus tells the parable, he asks the chief priests in verse 31, which of the two did the will of his father? And even though the first son initially refused, even though what he did was dishonorable by telling his father no, he did ultimately do his father's will. Neither son was completely obedient, but the emphasis is on what they do, not what they promised to do. And the first son, while he did not honor his father in speech, he honored him with his actions. And so when the priests and the elders respond correctly, Jesus says to them in verse 31, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will enter, will go before you into heaven, into the kingdom of God. Now this is a strong warning to the leaders of the temple. Jesus isn't saying that their entrance into the kingdom of God is impossible, but he does say that blatant sinners like tax collectors, prostitutes, are going to go before them, are going to precede them. And so here we begin to see the real reason why Jesus went to the temple that day, the real reason for him being there on that Passover Monday was that he was reasoning with the leaders He was reasoning with these chief priests and elders. He was seeking to convict them of their unbelief and to convince them that he was the Messiah. He was still at it. Mere days before his crucifixion, he was still spreading the gospel. Now, they refused to believe that John the Baptist was a prophet, as they admitted in verses 25 and 26, and they were refusing to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so Jesus is saying that the religious leaders of Israel, they're worse sinners. Pay attention to this. They are worse sinners than tax collectors, prostitutes. These people are in collaboration, in cahoots with the Romans. They're they're worse than Gentiles and pagans. And yet Jesus says they go before the priests and the elders. They... The priests and elders were persisting in their unbelief. But these tax collectors, these prostitutes, had repented. They had believed. They had listened to the words of John the Baptist when he told them to repent. And they had believed in the one that John the Baptist said would come after. Well, Jesus continues in verse 32, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Now verse 32 fills out the lesson of the parable. The tax collectors, the the prostitutes, they were like the first son. They initially failed to do what was right. But then they were obedient to the father. They heard what he said. Initially they didn't obey But it lingered in their minds, and they eventually repented. They came to faith in Christ. The chief priests and the elders were like the second son. They gave lip service to what the Father commanded them to do. Yes, yes, I'll do it. But they didn't. What they had been charged to do, and specifically that temple worship, it was false, it was empty, it was void, it was nothing. They refused to do as their father had told them. But these men ought to have known. 
They ought to have known who Jesus was. They ought to have known what he had commanded them to do. They had the, the Hebrew Bible. They had the word of God, which clearly foretold the coming of the Messiah. And this is Matthew's emphasis throughout his gospel. Again and again, he talks about how what Jesus does and what he says is the fulfillment of this passage and that passage. Over and over again, he demonstrates that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Scriptures. These priests should have seen it. They could have seen it from a mile away if they had reached out in faith. They should have seen that John the Baptist was the messenger of Malachi 3 who came to prepare the way of the coming Messiah. These leaders were in a privileged position. They had access to scriptures like no one else had. And yet they were going to watch others enter the kingdom of God before them. They may not go into the kingdom of God at all, Jesus is saying. They were in danger of being excluded altogether. If they persist in their unbelief, then all these privileges will have done them no good. And as Jesus says at, verse, at the end of verse 32, And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. Even when you saw these tax collectors and these prostitutes repenting and believing the words of John the Baptist. You did not change. You did not repent. You did not change your mind as the elder brother, the first son, had done. Ultimately, through John's baptism of repentance, he pointed the way to Christ. And these leaders should have known who John was. They should have followed him directly to Jesus. John said, and back in chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water, water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It is clear what John the Baptist is doing. And these leaders, many of whom had witnessed him, many of whom had traveled the 17 or 18 miles down to the Jordan River from Jerusalem to see what John the Baptist was doing in the wilderness, they'd heard his words directly or they'd heard them indirectly from those who had heard him. They should have known. They had enough information to know and to recognize who Jesus was. Either way, They stood condemned if they persisted in their unbelief. They would not have a chance. They would end up worse than the worst of the sinners if they did not believe. Now, it's often said, it's often said, how can we hold those accountable? How can we hold those guilty who don't know about Jesus? Well, here, these chief priests, these elders... Later on, Jesus will confront the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of Israel. They saw Jesus face to face. They knew their scriptures. They'd heard about what Jesus had done, and they don't believe him. There is no guarantee. There's no guarantee that just because you hear about Jesus, that you will believe. And we who sit here this morning... We're in a similar position to those chief priests and scribes, those chief priests and elders. 
we're very privileged, like those religious leaders were privileged in Jesus' day. We've heard. We've heard the gospel hundreds of times. We've heard God's word preached, proclaimed. We've heard the stories of the Bible. We know these things. We are privileged beyond measure. We are the equal of the chief priests and the elders of Jesus' day and what we know. But we know more. We have more. We have the completed canon of Scripture. We have the New Testament, which fulfills the Old Testament. And yet, many who are here, many who are part of the church, do not believe and will refuse to believe. We've heard it, and yet we refuse to repent. We're granted this privilege of coming to worship God, of gathering together with His people every single week. And yet it is inevitable that some here will refuse to believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Without God working in your heart, you will not be able to believe. But hear this. God is working. God uses His Word. And He calls each and every one of us, whether we believe or whether we do not believe, He calls us to repentance To believers, He calls you to repent in all of those ways in which you have failed to keep His Word. In all of those ways in which you have transgressed and and trespassed against His law, He calls you to repent. He calls you to believe in Christ again and again. But for those who don't believe, who haven't yet made a profession of faith, who haven't uh, come before this church, and publicly confess your faith in Jesus Christ, He calls you as well. He calls you by His Word this morning to repent and to believe. You know more now than you knew when you came in through these doors this morning. You know what you should do. This is the voice of the Lord calling you to repent. Jesus' words to the priests and the elders are a warning to us today. If you refuse to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, then other people who you think are much worse than you will enter the kingdom of God in front of you. You'll watch them go in while you remain on the sidelines. And Jesus has a strong warning. He has strong words, condemning words to those who refuse to believe in Him. He is the Messiah. Repent And believe in Jesus, and you will join tax collectors and prostitutes, and you will join lawyers and bankers and farmers and every other sinner who lives on the face of the earth who believes in Jesus Christ. You'll join them, and you'll have everlasting life. This is God's promise to you. And it's not you who will fulfill this promise. It is He who will fulfill it in you by His Spirit. And through his word, let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us once again to faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of our sins. And we ask, Lord, that we would indeed turn in faith to you. We thank you, Lord, for this call. And we pray now, Lord, for your blessing upon us as we go out into the world this week. That you would enable us, Lord, by your Spirit to be obedient to everything that you have commanded in your word.
We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.